This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Thursday, July 17, 2014. I'm Caleb Brown. Republicans are pushing legislation they hope will rein in the Federal Reserve, an agency that has taken upon itself broad new powers in the last few years. Mark Calabria directs the Cato Institute's financial regulation studies. He evaluates the push for Fed transparency and audits. So we've got a combination of it is 100 years, so it is the anniversary. And so I do think that there's a sense of, well, let's take a look back and see how successful the 100 years have been. Uh, more importantly, there is a sense of that the Federal Reserve policies both contributed to the boom and bust that led to the financial crisis, but are also contributing to the weak economy we have today. So rightly or wrongly, I think the general public and politicians attention to the Fed is more driven by the state of the economy than anything else. All right. But specifically, the last six years of Fed policy have been stridently different. They have been very unusual by historical standards. That is very true. So certainly in about 10 years ago, leading to the housing bubble, you had very loose monetary policy. And that's looked at as a contributor. During the financial crisis, you had an array of assistance programs that were set up and and bailouts uh, that I think, quite frankly, shocked the public. I I think much of the public understood that the Fed set interest rates. The the public did not necessarily know that the Fed could essentially bail out institutions like AIG. And so I think that really became a shock. Um, And you also saw a tremendous amount of pushback from the Fed uh, toward any efforts at accountability in terms of transparency. So when there were attempts to figure out who the AIG counterparties were or were there attempts to figure out who was beneficiary of all the lending programs, you really saw a lot of pushback. Uh, And so one of the few things that Dodd-Frank got right actually was requiring uh, a one-time audit of the Fed assistance programs. Uh, and so I do think there's this public shock of, wow, you know, I knew the Fed was powerful, but I didn't know they could essentially do anything they wanted and bail out anybody they wanted. Now, Ron Paul famously has made this an issue for the past few decades and uh, with his two presidential runs sort of brought it to the forefront of, at the very least, Republican attention. But when he says audit the Fed, what he means is the policy rather than the books. I'm, I'm absolutely correct. Uh, and, and so when I certainly think it's it's worth acknowledging that Ron Paul, more than any politician today, has, has put the Fed on the map in a very big way. Uh, and so as the Fed will quickly tell you, their books are audited. They have audited financial statements. We can debate how well they are. I mean, Enron was audited too. Um, but what Ron Paul is talking about is a policy audit. And so the GAO, which is essentially that arm of the government that does po- program evaluation for Congress, Ron Paul has long pushed uh, a bill and it actually p- passed the House overwhelmingly last Congress with Democrat and Republican support that would have the Fed policy role audited. And so this is not, you know, it, it's not like, it, like essentially what the policy audit looks at is does what the Fed actions it takes in monetary policy make sense in terms of is an effective program-wise. Um, and so many people have tried to characterize this as compromising the Fed's independence or second-guessing the Fed, and it's really not. Uh, it's no more than a policy audit of any other type of program, and that's what GAO does. It audits program, it does program evaluations of government programs. This is from the New York Times uh, story uh, about the subject. Uh, A piece of legislation would require the Fed to set interest rates based on a published rule like the Taylor Rule, a formula written by the Stanford University economist John Taylor that specifies the appropriate level of interest rates based on the pace of inflation 
and the gap between actual and potential economic output. Now, hasn't the Federal Reserve essentially been using a modified Taylor rule for several years? <laughs> Absolutely. That's the, the interesting thing about so much of the pushback to the House bill, which is the Fed operates you know, under a model as it is. I mean, it's worse, certainly in a simplistic sense, all policy decisions are based on the model of the world. You take action A because you think action B, you know, outcome B is going to result. And so the Fed certainly operates on a model. Um, they operate on a variety of models that they look at. They run Taylor models internally and look at these observations, and they've admitted as such. And so what the House bill really does is basically require them to share that model with the rest of us. It doesn't require the parameters of the model. Uh, it really is quite flexible. It even incorporates, again, the Taylor rule traditionally uh, and the model that's currently used does keep an output gap. So it is a Keynesian-type Phillips curve style model. It's not a monetary rule like a Friedman style rule if you grow the monetary base X percent. It's not like a gold standard rule. It's essentially a Keynesian Phillips curve type rule. The requirement is, of course, on the house bill that that model that you're currently using, you make it public. You tell us what the rest of it is. Um, you, bake, you base forecasts off that. And if you deviate from that, you tell us why. And of course, the House bill does have a safety valve. We're in the midst of a crisis. The Federal Reserve can say, you know, okay, things are kind of crazy. We're suspending our model and we're going to pump a lot of liquidity into the system. So there's a tremendous amount of discretion and flexibility. My primary criticism of the House bill would be that it actually leaves the Federal Reserve still with too much discretion. There are a lot of individual actions the Fed could take at any time that would be justified under different views of monetary policy. Absolutely. And so, for instance, the House bill allows the Federal Reserve to define what the uh, potential GDP is. In one of the ways the Federal Reserve went off the rails in the 60s and 70s were assumptions about potential GDP that really just didn't mount, you know, monitor, you know, mirror reality in any serious way. And so the fact that they can define the inputs, you know, to me, again, this forces transparency. But there's lots of ways the Fed can you can get around this and get to the outcome they want anyhow. Now I think the hope, and again, that's true even with the GAO audit. I mean, I was I've always been sympathetic to the Ron Paul approach, but I think it's also important to keep in mind that even having an audit, an audit of monetary policy still allows the Fed to kind of do what they want. And it doesn't, I can imagine, although the debate might be a little more fierce, at least the debate over what appropriate policy would be would be occurring in the open with an idea about what the Fed what the Fed's rationales would be for taking any particular action. And that's the real benefit of this to me is that I think it's fair to say we don't know ex ante what the right monetary policy rule is. You only really discover via trial and error. Trial and error. You discover by you know having outside parties test that model, uh, stress test it, see how robust it is. And so it's important to get that model out there. To in my opinion, and it's important to get greater discussions of monetary policy. You know, and so and certainly the importance of a GAO audit is it helps educate Congress in the way that the Congress can start to ask the right questions and do appropriate oversight. You know, today the Fed's um, greatest strength in insulating itself from accountability is that, you know, you really can't even ask them what they're doing in a really serious way. So the value of, of the Taylor rule, the value of having a rule that's transparent would allow the economics profession and the greater public to debate and examine and evaluate what the Fed is doing in a more serious way. Now, the outcome of all that might be, well, you know, maybe they made all the, made all the right decisions. But right now, we don't really have enough information and disclosure to actually figure that out. One of the benefits that I could see to uh, compelling the Federal Reserve to be more uh, open about its activities is just that um, there is this element of surprise that some economists like to be able to have 
the Fed to have in their back pocket, which is to essentially fool everyone into, into taking particular actions and then have the ability to take some other action. So there's essentially two elements to this, and you've touched on the surprise. I'll come back to the the other element of this is this sense of if we just you know hand over economic decision making to a panel of experts, you know basically give our lives over to Cambridge, Massachusetts to run, then the then the right decisions will be made. You know, and of course that's a long running uh, thinking uh, among many and, and cuts across government. And so the sense is if you set up a rule, you're really just limiting the discretion of experts, and we, and we don't want to do that because we know experts make the right decisions. The the other point is that inflation in terms of trying to generate employment only really works when it surprises. So if it's expected inflation, you know, the public adjusts for that, employers adjust for that, wages adjust for that, and boom, you don't actually get an output. The problem, of course, is that you can only surprise people so many times. And of course, people can get surprised both ways, uh, both in terms of overestimating the impact of inflation, underestimating the impact of inflation. And so the point of trying to leave that uh, discretion there. And so a lot of the literature on monetary policy rules that developed in the 70s and 80s really looked at this potential for the Fed to try to engineer these surprises. And the result of most of these models was that ultimately, the public caught up to this, and you ended up with higher inflation, but the same level of unemployment you would have had otherwise. So you're essentially worse off. So the, the value of a rule really is you know, kind of binding the Federal Reserve from making decisions that it wish it wouldn't make anyhow. It's the kind of tying Ulysses to the mass type sort of thing. Mark Calabria is the Director of Financial Regulation Studies at the Cato Institute. You can read more of his work at Cato.org.